Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. thankful this morning. This last week we uh, got the opportunity, really the last couple weeks, to talk about what God's been doing in our hearts. I mean, our, I mean Andrea and I's and our family and, and I think in this church as well. Um, what I felt probably for six, seven weeks now is God just pursuing my own heart heart of my family, and I, I just, I can't re- recollect, I, I don't like the use of superlatives when they're not necessary, but I can't recollect a time in my life where I've sensed his love and pursuit more presently and persistently than I have right now. And this last week, we talked about a little bit the way that God is doing that for our family, which simply put, he's just calling us to seek him in the morning, to wake up and seek him. And there were a number of you, a number of folks that aren't here this morning who responded in that they wanted to set aside specific time to seek the Lord. And I'm grateful over the last number of years that God has, maybe the last decade, or really the whole life, but but I would say increasingly over the last five or six years, the Lord has enabled me to be able to see and experience His presence in places outside of like what we grew up calling the quiet time or the secret place. God's I've, allowed me to experience him. Many of us experience him in conversations and walks in nature and with people, with playing with our kids. And, I, and I'm grateful for all that. But I do feel a sense of urgency and a, and a sense of now to God calling us to seek Him, to seek Him in prayer, specifically in prayer. And, and, in, and I believe that He's meeting that answer. Like he's, get, he's meeting that prayer. He's coming to people and giving people the desire to seek Him. And the Spirit draws. And I, I, I'm just super, I just have so much gratitude. Every night I go to bed right now, and I'm just like, God, you're so good. Like, your mercies are new every day. I just like, I don't know. Like, sometimes I'm more whiny than other times. Um, maybe that's all of us, but right now I'm just, I go to bed, and I go, man, God, you've been meeting me every day. And I'm just so grateful for it. And sometimes it takes time. I shared this last week, but there's this Keith Green song that says, like waking up from a longest dream, how real it seems until your love broke through. I, I just feel like his love has broke through. And that's what the story of Advent is about. The story of Advent is about people waiting, specifically Israel at the beginning, for a Messiah who was promised to come and save them and deliver them out of captivity and bring them into the fullness of his promise for them. It's also about those of us now who wait the return of Jesus. How many believe Jesus is coming? Can we say he is coming? Yeah, I think we have to keep reminding ourselves of this. I don't have any predictions of him coming next week or in two years or some specific date. I have no political interpretation of Revelation that will show you. I think all of that is mostly hullabaloo. But I do believe that he is coming. And I believe when he comes... What Revelation says, it stuck out to me, Andrew and I. I asked Andrew this question. We were going over to a prayer set, and I said, what do you imagine it being like when he comes? 
And she was like, well, I imagine like fire in his eyes, sword in his hands, you know, horse and a, and a you know, bunch of angels riding with him. And then she was like, they're all the angels on the horses and they're coming like a triangular shape out of the sky down to the earth. I was like, so like exactly like the picture in Revelation. Uh, and, and so somebody actually read that scripture at the prayer set that we went to and something stuck out to me really specifically because I've always wondered, I'm just a wanderer and I've wondered what does this mean? Like, what is it going to actually look like? And what it said was that all will know that it's him. I don't know how it's all going to look, but it says that all will know. And so the story of Advent is those people who are waiting, the Israel, it's us who are waiting um, for something that will be an all will know and see that it's him. And then the other thing is that we're all waiting God to break through into our lives in various ways. How many of you have things you're praying for? Um, this isn't notes. You know, surprisingly, like I grew up, as I mentioned many times in, a, in church that there's a freedom to kind of move different directions and go off script. I, I want to share a story that came to my mind. But as Chris and Tim have noted, when I have notes, I'm actually pretty, like, on top of my notes and, like, not as much of a rabbit trail thinker as you. It, it, before I'm preparing, I am. But during it, I stick to them mostly. And But this morning, I was thinking about expectancy and this morning, we're going to talk about the incarnation, which is the true miracle of the Advent and Christmas season. And I was thinking about expectancy, and I was reminded, I wrote about this recently, that when Andrew and I had our first child, Grace, we had a moment in the pregnancy where Andrew started to bleed in a way that we needed to call the doctor. The head nurse told us, that describing what was happening, she said, there's about a 95% chance that you've miscarried. I don't know if she said the words 95%, but she conveyed that. And I remember going into the hospital and Andrew was grieving. And I, I wasn't, uh, it wasn't grabbing me. And I think part of it was that, you know, it hadn't become final to me or that this was really happening. But I think the second thing is, that's probably more critical, is that my connection with, with the child that was growing inside Andrew's womb was not as strong as her connection. There's something about a mother who carries a child. There's an expecting waiting for something we can't see to come, in, come through them. Some of us wait like mothers and some of us wait like fathers. To me, I know I was a father the, the day that child was conceived. The scripture says, before you were your mother's womb, I formed you, I knew you. Like I was a father that day. But in my heart, I was a father when, when grace came out. And I remember, you know, people talk about crying, not crying. I cried. And I sat there and I leaned my head and looked at this little beautiful miracle that does kind of reflect of incarnation, right? But I just realized that my wife had more of an expectancy and an awareness than I did. And last week we talked about waiting like prophets. James 5.10 says, look at the prophets as an example of patience and of suffering. And if you know the stories of prophets, there it is. My brethren take prophets, spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering patience. Okay, I was close enough. Um, prophets waited, mostly never listened to, with a lot of suffering, and a lot of patience, but, they, but there was two things about the way that prophets waited on the fulfillment of God's promises, that they waited in expectancy and they waited with a singularity of focus. Even in the middle of all the suffering and all the persecution, there was a singularity of focus to their waiting. And I feel like that there's something there we could grab a hold of 
in our life. There's something there in waiting on God, certainly in waiting on his return, but in waiting on his breakthrough into the life. There's something there that we can get a hold of that we might be able to wait like prophets, and we might be able to wait like mothers. It's very much like a man to just believe what he can see. Right? Well, I'll believe it if I see it. Good luck finding that one in the Bible. Actually, Scripture invites us to believe, and then we will what? See. So I just want to encourage you. The, the Advent story, it is a story that we can find in the particularity of Jesus, but we can also find it in the resonance of your life. How many of you are waiting on God to do something? You're praying for something that's unfulfilled. Raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. Wait with the eyes of faith. There is a, I believe that there is this morning, I, I just want to speak this out, there is a freedom from despair and hopelessness over the promise of God over your life. And, and I will say this. I will say this. It's not because the reason that it has been difficult is not because his promise is not sure. It's because our posture has been wrong. Our posture has been wrong. The scripture does not say, wait like a child watching the microwave for popcorn to be finished. It says, wait or be patient, suffering as an example of the prophets. I feel like the Lord wants to shift cynicism and restore patience and long-suffering. And it's time, you're not like, you can remain entitled to your, to your pain. You can remain entitled to the hopeless pleas you can put before God, and you will remain exactly where you are. You with me? You know that David's lamenting prayers, which are honest prayers. I've prayed lamenting prayers before God. David's lamenting prayers aren't so that he can cling on to hurt and hopelessness. It's so that he can let them go to God. I don't have to be dishonest in life. I don't have to walk around like, well, life is wonderful. And like behind me is a whole bunch of mess. But we have become too comfortable being entitled to our hopeless despair and frustration. Let it go. How many of you can receive that? This is always the story. I recognize that in a community of people, you could sit in 60, 70, 50 people, small room, and you will find an incredible range of suffering in any room. So I don't presume to understand. I do recognize that in all of human history, the story of God's people is a story waiting patiently for his breakthrough. And there are those who wait patiently, and there are those who remain entitled to their despair and hopelessness, and they go and choose to do whatever the heck they want to do. That's the two path of life. Do I cling to my understanding and my frustration or do I cling to the path of life? I just want to pray right now. I feel like if, <laughs> this is really off script, but if you want to let go right now of an, of an entitlement. That's such a strong word. And I'm using that word because it evokes something. How many of you hate the word entitlement? I grew up in a successful home. And like my entire life, I've been fighting against that word. I will not be an entitled brat. So that word, like if I hear that word, I'm like, oh, like a couple months ago, I had to tell my dad, it was like, I don't struggle with this, but I, 
I was like, Dad, there was one comment I made to you that I felt that word entitlement. I felt it was like that, that word just came up in my heart when I said that to you. I'm sorry, forgive me. So let me just say, I'm using that word particularly because it's not a word that is pleasant to hear. But I feel like that there are some people that you've, you have entitled yourself to your despair and frustration, and the Lord says, let it go now. If that makes sense to you, I just want you to stand with me right now. You've entitled yourself to your despair and frustration. Stand right now. God's going to let, he's going to let it go right now as we're standing. Just extend your hands right now to the people. This is incredibly bold to admit something like this. Right now, God, I pray that you would take away the entitlement to despair and frustration and to hopelessness, and you will speak hope right now in Jesus' name. We speak your promise. We speak a people who are waiting patiently for your breakthrough in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, not in a perfect world, but with a perfect God waiting with them. I, we just break this off right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's celebrate that. That's good. My favorite prophet to wait like is Simeon. I talked about this last week. Simeon waited in the temple courts for Jesus' dedication, and he had heard from the Spirit that his eyes would see the, the Savior, the Messiah that God had promised. He, he heard that. And his whole life, imagine your whole life's mission is to do one thing, to see the one that Jesus has sent. That's Simeon. And for me, that's, that is my heart right now. I feel the Lord seeking me, and I just want to see, like, and I'm praying for this. I want you guys to know, like, right now, praying for you every day. I pray for those, I, many who texted me who said, I'm seeking the Lord with you, like, I'm praying every day that God is going to give grace on your seeking and that he will bless, that his presence will be with you. Because I believe right now, I'm, I've prayed since we started ministry, I've had one prayer. I said, God, I, don't, I want to be a part of a move of God that is undeniably you. I don't want it to, be, I don't want it to even be unclear. Like, was this capabilities or talent or... or um, finances or any of those things. I want to be a part of something that's undeniably you. And I'm praying that he will give you the eyes of Simeon, that you will wait in the secret place and that you will see him, that he'll present himself to you. Um, um, yeah, no good transition into a brief, uh, into Advent sermon. Um, I just, this is what I love the story of Advent. You begin the year, wait. You don't begin the journey with the promise fulfilled. We do begin the journey with the promise fulfilled because Jesus has come. But in our own lives, existentially, we, we begin the journey waiting on God to make us into something beautiful. And we kind of live in this tension of being content with exactly already what he's done the fullness he's given us, and expectantly waiting for something greater. And I, I think the thing about Advent is we actually tell the story of Advent a la also Christmas pretty well. I mean, we have lots of songs that we sing. Even people who don't go to church know Christmas songs. Um, there's like, you know, traditions. There's yard art. You can drive by a street and see a nativity scene you know, just lit up at night. We actually get this story pretty well. I will say my yard art is actually Will Ferrell in the candy cane forest. So my yard art does not tell the story of Advent. Um, but, but I think that while we've made a major emphasis of the church of telling the narrative of God in Scripture and in all of life, that's the reason why we do Advent and Lent, because we can tell the stories of Jesus um, it's sometimes easy to miss, and I think I even miss it, that at the very, that, that the miracle is at the center of the Advent story. And this miracle is what Advent waits and longs for and what Christmas celebrates. I want to read you a passage just to ground us back in, come back into earth here. 
But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your, you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Say, of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We sang that. For he will save his people from their sins. The centerpiece of the story isn't the journey of the Virgin Mary and her husband. It isn't the announcement of the Messiah to the shepherds or even the waiting people. The centerpiece of the story is the miracle and the mystery of incarnation. It's the miracle and mystery of incarnation. So what is incarnation? Incarnation is God in the flesh, in Jesus. God is not just with us, but God has come as us in human flesh. Truly God, truly man. The miracle of Jesus, part of the triune God, conceived by the Spirit in the Virgin Mary, as the Gospels testify to. Everybody say, this is the point. The point of this whole season is God in flesh. It's God in flesh. Before I speak about the mystery of the uh, mystery of incarnation, I want to talk about the mystery of biscuits and gravy. Biscuits and gravy fans, anybody in here? Um, my favorite meal to get at my Mima Papal's house. I was a breakfast person. My favorite meal to get at my Mima Papal's house was um, was biscuits and gravy. And my papa made the biscuits and gravy. He, he would uh, make the biscuits from scratch and make the gravy from scratch. And um, my papa, you know, he made that bacon grease gravy in a way that it would still run and find its way into every porous hole of those fluffy, white bread examples of heaven on earth. And if there's any heresy that should be rejected on earth and in heaven, it's clumpy gravy. And if you like clumpy gravy, I'm sorry, you're just wrong. <laughs> gravy needs to find its way to soak the biscuit. And, um, you know, how many of you had your grandma be the, be a cook? Like, like that was, so for me, grandma, you know, Mima cooked, but Papa was the baker of the family, which is why, like, he was a very, very healthy man. But he always had a little bit of an outer physical manifestation of his like of liking of baking things. And um, one of my one of the, my most precious favorite items. I meant to bring it this morning. I didn't. I think I've referenced it here before. One of my most precious items that I have. Every time I would come over to his house, he wanted to give something to us. And like, after a while, you're like, Papa, we don't have to give anything. And honestly, I, I wish I had listened to him more just because he just wanted, he wanted to share. And one of the things that I love is this bread bowl that he gave me that his grandmother made bread in. And so it would have been my great-great-grandmother. And... You know, I look at that, that bread bowl and I think about or imagine a woman that I never saw making bread over it. And there's little marks on the bowl that I don't know if it was like, you know, that she sometimes, you know, used some sort of utensil or was just from her hands or whatever it is. There's little marks on the bowl and I just... They're to me like little cavities against the wood that are like memories that I never got to experience. But somehow they speak like that. That mark speaks to me of a life lived before me that I, that I didn't know about. And bread making is interesting because whether you're making a biscuit or sourdough, I don't know that much about bread making. But the 
But the ingredients in the process hasn't changed that much for a long, long time. The ingredients are fairly similar. And actually, Michael Misborski is thinking he, he made, he's made the bread that we take at communion now, and he breaks it up into little pieces, and I was with him as he kneaded it and poured it. He wanted, he wanted for there to be something that was a little bit more quality, beautiful that we received. And so, thank you, Michael. Um, he put that together, and it was great to watch it. And all these ingredients, when bread is put together, they, 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 they're brought together to make something that nourishes, gives joy, replenishes, reminds us of memories. Have you ever had a wonderful meal that was so wonderful that it reminded you of something? Reminded you of a moment. Like, like meals remind us of that. And, and weekly, as we take community and we, bring, we eat these broken pieces of bread, we do exactly what Jesus said. He said, I want you to do this in what? Remembrance of me. Like he gave us something physical that would allow us to remind, to reflect. It says that we also to, are to proclaim. So proclaiming is kind of forward and memory is kind of backwards. But it, it's this communion that we're called to, to remember. Now, if I imagine how I grew up in church, I grew up with a, lens, a couple different lenses I grew up with a very spirit lens. Very early memories are to me experiences of the spirit and the presence of God. How many of you have grew up this way a little bit? Like, I, I, I grew up with that lens. The second lens I grew up with was a, was a scripture lens. I mean, not second as importance. I just mean I also grew up with a scripture lens. Like, I grew up with a lens. We were reading the Bible a lot, and we were immersed in that story, and that framed the way I understood things. I also grew up with a communal lens, Andrew and I laugh about the differences between our families because, you know, they were extremely good about family time. And my family might show up to the house and there might be 10 people that they weren't expecting to be there. Just, you know, my dad just walk right past and go to the room, you know. And so we had a very, very communal lens that we grew up with. But something that God has been revealing to me in only very recent years is a lens, a sacramental lens of the world. And a sacramental lens of God of the world recognizes that God has given us physical expressions of his love. That they're not just, they're not just in word, they're not just in, in spirit, but they're physical. So we have two major sacraments, it's not the only ones, but multiple, but but the two that are important, we, we take communion every week. And communion is meant to remind us and proclaim the death and resurrection for those who believe. And, and baptism, secondly, is to, is to show that we have begun, we have uh, left an old life and begun anew. And both of these things, they're not little confessions you make or scriptures you read or prayers you pray. They are things that, you, that God invites us to do physically. Are you with me? It's a physical expression. And I want you to see this, that Jesus himself is a sacrament poured out. Jesus himself became something in incarnation that wasn't just spirit and it wasn't just true. It was both of those things, but it was physical. He came into our physical world and Jesus became a life poured out. Are you with me? When I ride my bike, I, I love, I, it's been such a gift. And I ride my bike to work. I ride through these forests. And I look and I see some trees that are growing tall. And I see some trees that are dying. And these trees that are dying are being brought into the soil to decompose. And in their decomposition, the soil is enriched and everything growing in the soil around has life because of that death. It's like to me that all of creation has an element of sacrament in it. 
that even in the physical dimension of the way God has wired the cosmos, that we see death and life happening. When, when Jesus says, if they don't say something, the rocks will cry out, guess what? The rocks are already crying out. That lit like you could actually walk outside and see that creation is waiting under the advent of God. Romans says that creation is groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And a sacramental worldview causes us to realize that God has given us physical expressions of his beauty and, in, and his love that we can see, that we can see lived out. Are you with me? They express his truth, his love, his grace, and his mercy. But here's the deal I want you to see. This is like the crux of the point. When we imagine his broken bread for us. We imagine his broken body. We have to realize that before we can receive a broken body at the table of communion, there was a bread that was made in Jesus. The creator of heaven and earth before all things has been preparing and molding and making a meal for us. Before Jesus can be the bread broken, he is the bread made. Jesus, in his own words, is the bread of life prepared. He was prepared as a sacrament. He was put together in flesh. Like, I want you to see, this is such a miracle that the Spirit came over the Virgin Mary and He was put together in flesh before He was broken. And it's too easy for us to look at the story and the life of Jesus and the incarnation of Jesus as merely a prelude to the death and resurrection. The miracle of incarnation is there. I want you to see this. The miracle of incarnation is there for you to see and know God. All right, I want to read this scripture, and I know, let's see, what time is it? Somebody shout out the time. Okay. This is John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. For there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of all fullness we have received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Amen. It says, the word that always was became flesh. And as that last verse says, no one has seen God, yet his begotten son, Jesus, given to us by the flesh, declares his glory. I want you to hear this. Jesus is the declaration of God's glory. If you want to know what the Father is like, Easy answer. He's declared himself in Jesus. He has declared himself in Jesus. When I was thinking back on the bread that was made in these bowls, and I was thinking back on my papal making biscuits and gravy, 
in all these things, I was thinking about that which I was mentioning earlier, that the, that the ingredients um, haven't changed. They haven't changed for centuries. Like we make bread out of the same stuff. And when God sent his son as a living offering for us, the ingredients did not change. He never gave up on his redemption of man. And Jesus is made from the same stuff that you and I are made of. He did not move to a plan B and ditch man. He always had to plan to come to us as us in the same flesh as we bear. When God made man and woman in the garden, it says that he took the dust of the ground and he formed him and he breathed his spirit in life into man. You, all of us, were made by the substance of all created things. What is dirt? Dirt is the thing that everything's end at, ends at after it's dead. It's the thing that everything ends at after it's dead. It's the thing that all things receive life from in that decomposition. You were made of that base matter of the universe, and you're also made of the base substance of God, which is spirit. And Jesus, as the bread was made, as the sacrament, the greatest sacrament of all that, uh, that will ever speak to any truth, as he was put together, God did not change the recipe or the ingredients. He made him out of the same dirt, dirt and out of the same spirit as he hovered over Mary because he did not ditch man and he will not ditch us. Even the very substance of that which he has made is speaking of the life that he's living. The death and light, life is seen in the dirt. It's seen in the spirit. Like he is this perfect bread that has been offered to everyone. And before that bread was broken, it was made by the master chef, the master creator to speak to the glory of God. Are you with me? There is like a sacramental worldview that if you see that Jesus came in flesh to resurrect us in spirit and in flesh, he did not just do it with a sermon. He did not do it from heaven. He had to come in the likeness, the meekness, and the restraint of man to save his creation. Revelation says that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of earth, and he's also the bread being created and the meal being prepared since before the first rain fell on the grain of wheat. That is Jesus. His love broke through the physical like dimension of reality. His love broke through and his love's name is Jesus. Amen? Man, this gets me fired up. Like I could just sit here and yell about this for two hours. I was asking my kids the question the other day. We sang the song, Highest Praise. We're just riding down the road like 7.30 in the morning and we're listening to the song. You know how kids are at 7.30 in the morning, kind of like hitting each other but slightly tired. And I go, guys, you know what the highest praise is? Just like 10 minutes of silence from dad. Do you know what the highest praise is? They're just like, no. <laughs> I was like, you know, the highest praise is a living sacrifice poured out. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship the highest praise we can give our lives is just our lives poured out. And Jesus demonstrated a life, a sacrament poured out love. That's his goal, is to reveal. But we often see this, this story as just a prelude. 
Here's the way I want to say We sang the song, I Need You More. This is what the incarnation says. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how good of a thinker you are. It doesn't matter how disciplined you are. No man could ascend. No man could go and find him. No man could go across the sea, as Deuteronomy says. Or what Jesus says to the disciples, where you're going, where I'm going, you can't go. The incarnation says that we actually needed God to become that offering so that we could come in behind him. Are you with me? Like we needed a miracle. That, that's actually like the point of Advent is that, if, is that you need a miracle. Every one of you need a miracle. I could pinpoint to you a couple areas of my life that don't line up in submission perfectly to the will of the Father. Do you know what I need for those areas to be addressed? Somebody cheat, somebody tell me. I need a miracle. Do you know what you need for millions and millions of cells to be dying and being created in your body and all of this to just be perfectly ordered and well? You know what you needed? A miracle. Do you know what you need to have reconciliation with your family? A miracle. Like the Advent story tells us that we need a miracle. I want to finish with this. I want to read the last part of the verses. It's, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom it is said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. I'm sorry for that fast reading. I'm just trying to, trying to move us along. But there's two things that this passage says that if you didn't catch them, that, that happens here in this interaction with Jesus, the incarnation. It says that John is speaking in recollection, not, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple who wrote the book of John. He's speaking in recollection. And he said these two things. He said that we have beheld His glory. We have beheld it. Beheld it means that they looked upon it, but it's more than looking upon. It's like, you know, all these analogies of things that I beheld in my life just came to my mind, and it just felt so unholy to say any of them. Because there isn't an analogy to beholding the glory. Like they beheld, they beheld him and they received him. They beheld and they received. Say beheld and received. They beheld and received. What does this mean? It means that you come to look upon him in every way that you come to look upon him. And if you behold him, and receive Him, you will become like Him. God has called us this morning to behold Jesus in the mystery of incarnation, in the mystery of His body becoming flesh, being put together. This isn't just a broken body. This is a masterfully crafted bread that was put together. And as we behold that glory and we receive it, we will become like Him. And so I just want us to for a moment, I want us to close our eyes and let ourselves just behold for a moment. Ask the Spirit to reveal to you Jesus, the incarnate one. Let's just wait. Okay, I'm going to read to you from Mark 14 and, and then let this closer time. This is a story that we sang about, which is this woman pouring out this lavish worship upon Jesus. 
It says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came, having an alabaster flask of very costly oil spikenard. And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for, the poor, for, for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good thing, work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whatever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. I want you to imagine this. I love this story because whatever she did, if you, I've, I've, uh, I've smelled before some of the most lavish fragrances in the world, and and expensive lavish fragrances, the the potentness of their smell is like it's 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 like wow, like you can smell it from a ways away. And she didn't just spray. She, she poured this upon him. And so in this room of people, there are people watching this who are in awe, offended, thinking that worship should be done a different way. And Jesus says, what she's done is, is such a powerful picture that the whole world, anywhere where the gospel is preached, this woman's story will be told. But it's also a picture of Jesus the story. Because God, who set the highest price of his son, paid the highest price, and poured upon us an extravagant perfume, oil. And that story is still, that aroma still smells today. I believe if you will behold and you will receive the incarnation of Christ as more than just a worldview, but as a meal in every part, you will be one who becomes a part of the sacrament. You will be one who becomes a part of this physical living expression of love that's fragrant still smells. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty.
We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at clearpathdallas. Thanks for listening. Can't help.